reading can be found on uh, page 362 of the Bibles in the chairs. Page 362. And it's from 1 Kings, chapter 19, beginning at the first verse. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What are you doing, Elijah? God says to him. And then Elijah's truthful to God. I wonder if God asked us what we were doing this morning, whether we could be honest with God. Today we continue our series, Rhythm of Grace. And today we look at my favourite subject, silence and solitude. I want to be start with a quote from a guy called Thomas Martin. Uh, Thomas Merton. He died in 1968 and he was a monk, a writer, a theologian, a mystic, a poet, poet and a social activist and a scholar. And he says this, there should be at least a room or some corner where no one will find you and disturb you or notice you. You should be able to untether yourself from, untether yourself from the world and set yourself free losing all the fine strings and strands of tension that bind you by sight, by sound, by thought, to the presence of other men. Once you have found such a place, be content with it, and do not be disturbed if a good reason takes you out of it. Love it, and return to it as soon as you can, and do not be quick to change it for another. There's something in my spiritual life that used to bother me, as I've travelled on my journey of faith. And there are times that I actually become distant to God. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. There are many times when it seems that God goes silent on us, when it seems that God has abandoned us. And there's a silence when we pick up the Bible and get absolutely nothing from it. Or we come to communion and it just becomes a sheer ritual that we're going through or we pray and it just seems like we're praying to a blank wall. There can be silence when we struggle with it why our partner has cancer or or a child has been born with cystic fibrosis or why we have destructive desires or impulses that we simply do not seem to be able to control. There can be silence when God asks When we ask God, sorry, why we have flogged our guts out and nothing has happened. There can be silence when we ask, why am I so desperate and alone? Silence and solitude. This is a topic that I struggle with. 
but I'm going to explain, explain more as I go along. Yesterday, I found I had a day to myself. It was cold, it was frosty, it was misty. Um, and I found these combinations a little bit like, little bit like this morning. Sally looked out the window this morning. She says, what, it's, the light's wonderful this morning. And um, it's quite, it was quite atmospheric. And so yesterday I did one of the things that I love to do best. And that was I took my camera and I went out walking and did some photography in the frost. Uh, and I got some incredible pictures. Thomas Merton speaks of a place where we must find and be content with. I've said here that I didn't realise until yesterday, but I've actually I've known this for a long time because my resting place is behind my camera when I'm taking shots of nature and birds and ice formations. That's my place of solitude. And yesterday, as I walked along taking some incredible shots, I felt the presence of God through the lens of my camera, and that gives me great joy. In our reading today, Elijah encounters the silence of God. But Elijah is crushed. Elijah is crushed by exhaustion, discouragement, loneliness, and his own sense of failure. He runs away. He goes into the wilderness. He gets rid of his servant. He sits down and he prays. He prays, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Basically, Elijah is resigning, not just from the job, but from life. And notice how very gracious God is to Elijah. God provides him with sleep, water, and in this wonderful freshly baked bread in a cave. Wow. And God does not provide him once but twice. Once it seems to restore him the second time to prepare him. Someone who is exhausted is not really going to be able to hear God very easily. God moves in, in, in on Elijah. In fact, God takes him to Mount Horeb, the beginning of the Israelites' nation as a nation, the place where God called Moses, the place where God gave his people the law and his word. God takes him back to the roots of his people on this retreat. God meets with Elijah. But this meeting is very different to previous meetings. In verse 9, God finds Elijah spending the night in a cave, and God asks Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Elijah tells him, I've been faithful and hard working, but it's pointless. Nothing has changed. The Israelites have rejected you, and I am the only one left, and they want to kill me. So God tells Elijah to go out onto the mountain to meet with him. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. But it seems that Elijah doesn't go. He stays in his cave. He becomes a teenager. Don't do as he's told. So because Elijah won't come to God, God goes to Elijah. There's a great and powerful wind. There's an earthquake. There's a fire. I don't know how. It might have been an earthquake, an electrical storm. Who, who knows? But the Bible tells us that God does not meet Elijah in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. The writer says in verse 11 and 12, Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake became, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Instead, God meets with him 
in the gentle whisper. Or in some translations it says, sheer silence. And from what I read, I think it's a more accurate translation. God comes to Elijah in sheer silence. It's a theme that is taken up by many of the first Christian preachers. Yes, of course, God meets us in the dramatic. When God met Moses on Mount Oreb, um, there was a wind, an earthquake and a fire. When the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, again, it's funny, I found myself reading from Acts 2 this morning. I didn't intend that. God put that in my head, Acts 2. That came to my mind. When the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, there was wind and fire. When Jesus returns, we are told there will be earthquakes and fire. And many of us will have met with God in the dramatic, in the miraculous, in the astonishing answer to prayer, in the way a Bible passage has leapt out at us, in his guiding and in overwhelming experience. But on this occasion, God doesn't meet Elijah in the powerful or the dramatic. He meets him in silence. He meets him in the cave. Elijah becomes aware that just as God is not in the sound and the fury on this occasion, God is in the silence. Perhaps I should emphasise that differently. God is in the silence. And when it seems to us that God has gone AWOL, we do need to hold on to our faith, if not by experience, to the fact that God is with us even in the silence. Elijah crops up in the New Testament. Some people thought that John the Baptist was Elijah come back to life. John the Baptist makes it pretty clear that he is not Elijah. There are certainly many parallels. Both were pretty wild, if I'm honest. But both called people back to God. Both were on the hit list of queens. Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. Herodias wanted John the Baptist dead. Both seemed to encounter doubt. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and John the Baptist when he's in prison, both pointed forward to the same person, which is Jesus Christ. But Elijah crops up as a living person in the New Testament when Jesus is transfigured. He's seen talking on a mountain with two people, Moses and Elijah. They're talking together about the death of Jesus. And in his death, Jesus encounters the silence of God. Remember, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? But unlike Elijah, Jesus encounters not the apparent silence of God, but the actual silence of God. Not many people have done that. In fact, Jesus is the only person on earth who has experienced that. To encounter the actual silence of God is quite literally about total separation from God. It's about hell. He's the only person this side of death who has done that. And because Jesus experienced this actual silence of God, no other person has ever got to experience that. This side or the other side of death, God has promised that he will never be absent from the person who seeks him. The good news is that Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, is with us when it's all going very well. But Jesus is also with us in the silence which seems like absence. It's like a Job experience. We've been screaming at God, protesting our innocence, demanding he meet with us, asking him why we have to go through what we go through. I do hope that you struggle and fight and wrestle with God 
He's a big God, you know, he can take it. Because that shows that knowing him really matters to you. I've shouted, I shout at God nearly every day, if I'm honest. God, that's terrible, isn't it? It's struck down by lightning. And I know that God makes himself known to us in his word, but this is slightly different. This is about God making himself known to us in our experience. And that is the point at which Job shuts up, and it also points at which Elijah shuts up. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And now Elijah is ready again to say yes to his calling, to hear God's word, to be given a new task and to obey. What I'm saying is Jesus never abandons us. When we think God is distant, it's possible that it's us that's distant. But it's more likely to be us that's distant. And it's times like that that we need to totally focus on Jesus. And this is where today's rhythm of silence and solitude has the ability to bring us even closer to Jesus, to focus only on Jesus. Jesus himself practiced this rhythm and shows us that we too need to make it a part of our spiritual discipline. And that's not easy. Like I say, it's one of the things that I really struggle with. But I want to share a little with you about my experience of silence and solitude. The Bible speaks often on silence and solitude. Uh, in Ecclesiastics, it says there is a time to be silent. Again, in Ecclesiastics, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. That's something I struggle with. Let your words be few. Shut up, Andrew. I hear myself sometimes saying, shut up. The song we've just sang this morning from Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. Moses and Paul, some of the most recognised figures in history, again, were transformed in times of extended solitude. The Bible is full of references to silence and solitude. Jesus lived in a world of inner solitude and frequently experienced outer solitude. He was busy, but he was never in a hurry. I love that. Jesus was busy, but he was never in a hurry. Isn't it good when you like something that you've wrote yourself? Silence and solitude was Jesus' place of strength. Even before Jesus began his public ministry, he spent 40 days in silence and solitude. Before he chose the 12, he spent the night praying to God, again in silence. When he heard of John the Baptist's death, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And in Matthew, after feeding the 5,000, he went up onto a mountainside to pray to, to pray, uh, sorry, by himself to pray. And when the evening came, Jesus was there alone. Like Elijah, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He probably went to reconnect with the Father in prayer. And like all of us, would have rested to recharge his batteries. We all need to do that. Now, I want to be completely truthful and tell you that, as I've already said, this is something that I really struggle with. I'm not good at being quiet. I'm a total evangelist and I feel I've got too much to say. It's like tonight, you've got three minutes. Tell them what you're doing in three minutes. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> I feel I've got too much to say. And I don't particularly want to remain quiet, if I'm honest. I'm a person that constantly wants to shout from the rooftops. Like I say, there are times I even get fed up of hearing myself. 
And I'm hopeless at being still. Even on my day off, I will sneak on a Friday. <clears throat> I sneak into my office. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I catch up with my latest sermon or whatever work I'm on with. Uh, with extra exception of odd days like yesterday when I'm out with my camera. I'm the worst person in the world at relaxing. I get fidgety. I start to whistle. That irritates Sally so much. Shocking, doesn't it, Sally? Stop whistling. I'm not allowed to whistle. She tells me off. So I stop to sulk. I get uncomfortable and restless. And I'm no good at relaxing. I come from a culture where an average of at least 50 hours a week I worked. I work an average of 50 hours a week. I've always done that. Uh, with six weeks a year holiday. I'm going to say something, but I'm, I know it's being recorded, so I won't. <laughs> you, 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 you that laugh, no. That's why I'm programmed. That's what I'm programmed for. I'm programmed for a 50 to 60 hour week and six weeks a year holiday. I struggle to do anything different, if I'm really honest. Sad, isn't it? I, th I do think it's sad. <laughs> People tell me to be careful or I might burn out. I, I disagree with that because I'm, I'm that busy doing what I do. I don't stress. I don't let things weigh me down. I don't think I'm on my own. There's many people of the same attitude as myself. If you are a person that's used to dealing with busyness and all of a sudden you find a huge workload, there are more things that burn you out. It don't burn me out. I'm used to it. I'm programmed that way. I'm not Superman. I'm not Batman. But I do feel resilient as a busy person because the crux is, is that I like to be busy. But a busy person also, also has its downfalls. I used to detest quiet weekends when studying at Murfield. I can't think of anything worse than a quiet day or a quiet weekend. The first time when I were at Murfield studying, I told Sally and Scarlett and Elliot that I were having a quiet weekend. Honestly, they were uncontrollably on the floor in, in, in laughter because they know that's something I, I, can't, I just can't do. And I did struggle as well. They know I struggle to be still and quiet. So when I'm giving a sermon to say how important is silence and solitude, I'm the worst priest in the world to tell you from experience about silence and solitude. So today, I actually feel a bit of an hypocrite to myself. Silence and solitude, as we've already heard, there are plenty of pointers in the Bible. Again, it works great for Jesus, but maybe not for Andrew. And I'm, and I'm sure I would benefit from it immensely. I'm totally convinced God wants me to learn, to be this, to learn this discipline. God wants me to shut up at times. And I even believe it would be good for me. I just don't know how to do it. But my friends, the majority of people are not like me. So I'm convinced that you would benefit today. The rhythms of life being about silence and solitude. Which is something Jesus needs and does. It's, I'm convinced that it's something that we all need, including myself. But saying all this, I want to tell you that solitude is one of the most important disciplines of the spiritual life. Especially for those disciples like ourselves who need to sometimes disengage from daily life and the pressures that it presents to all of us in many different ways. There are times when we need to experience God restoring our souls. Solitude is for being alone with God and solitude is completed by silence. 
There's much to be said about solitude, but what's most important that is it's a way to do nothing. You can, you can believe that, a way to do nothing. Don't try to be productive. Even in Bible study, solitude and silence is an opportunity to focus on your intimacy with Jesus, to detach from your daily responsibilities and the people you interact with in order to attend to Jesus alone. So solitude, we don't try to make anything happen. We just bring our naked self to the Lord to be with him. The song we just sang a few minutes ago, Be Still and Know That I Am God, again, comes from Psalm 46. It speaks about the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. It's tied to the value about living radically. The idea is that if we're going to live radically for God, then we need to be rooted in a deep awareness of his presence that can only come from that quietness and stillness before him. It's funny, this week I had um, um, I do a lot of work in Trinity Primary School. I've got a really good relationship with uh, Jonathan Wood up there. Some of you might know him. Um, and I was sat in his office. <laughs> I felt like a little boy. <laughs> sat in Ed Master's office. Uh, Jonathan's become a, quite, a really good friend. But we were, we were talking about quiet and stillness and silence and solitude. He said, what, you know what you do this week? I said, I'm battling with this sermon that I'm writing. Uh, and he said he loves it. He loves silence and solitude. When he's got a day to himself and do nothing, uh, he likes to, he likes to uh, go to gym, <laughs> then go for a cup breakfast. Yeah, I can get on with that. Then go to Dale's and just walk for hours all by himself and then go for a couple of pints. And I, 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 I get that. I do it. But I don't know if I could do it myself. Even though I did it yesterday, I couldn't do it myself on a regular basis. Jonathan craves for that all all time. And it does actually quite, sound quite idyllic, doesn't it? But for me, I like that idea. Tell me, my, my day's off for Friday. Sally works on a Friday. And like I said, I just get totally lost and nip back into office to do some work. Sally says I need a project, don't you? Yeah, I'm sure you're right. The old point I'm trying to make is that the idea of solitude may seem wonderful to some or terrifying to others, depending on how easy you find it to be alone. Solitude is a word we don't often use. It's not really in our dialect. And although we might respond in different ways, in different times, solitude is a discipline in which each of us can find fulfilment and freedom. This is because solitude is actually about us seeking a relationship with the intimacy of Jesus. Now, I understand that. I get that. Richard Foster, he's one of my favourite writers, he wrote a book called Holy Habits. He once said, if we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. The inward solitude is a state of mind and heart, so we can practice this discipline anywhere. And there are also outward ways in which we can live out solitude. Jesus often as we've heard, withdrew from the presence of others to spend time alone with the Father. We see many examples in the Bible, again, what we've just said, 40 days spent in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. And his time in Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus often drew large crowds, yet in many significant moments during his life and ministry, Jesus chooses to be alone. I want to share with you an odd illustration that um, came to me just a couple of days ago as I, were, as I were praying and thinking about this topic, about the choice of being alone. 
And, and it comes from a time only a few years ago when we didn't realise where the world was going to be where it is today, when many of us were forced to be alone with maybe just a few people around us. The restrictions in place during COVID-19 pandemic, I believe, gave every one of us a time for solitude, silence and peace. We had no choice. There's no doubt about that COVID as it were a very testing time for many and I can't ever take away the, uh, the loss of loved ones and the impact it had and continues to have on our world. But the one thing that I did realise from the isolation is we'd no choice. We'd no choice. We, we were all forced into this isolation. And it actually gave me and many other people that I know, it gave us a chance to recharge. Um, and I hadn't felt... It made me recharge in a way that I'd not felt for a long, long time. I also realised that there was something bigger going on regarding recharge. The earth around us also started to respond. There was less noise, less pollution, less movement, less toilet rolls. I'm glad you're listening. But despite what was going on in hospitals and care homes, which we must never forget, the earth started to feel at peace with itself the air was cleaner and for a short time the planet started to repair itself if you remember that first summer the sun shined the air was crystal blue birds were singing it was incredible and i remember seeing on television the smog actually lifting in beijing the oil in the ozone had reduced and i read from a place in northern India that they could see the Himalayas for the first time in 50 years that because the pollution and the smog had lifted. And my, my point is that everything about God's creation benefits from stopping and being still. Even creation itself, it's a stark contrast to the planet where we live or the UK or the people at this moment in time. All because we had to stop, we had no choice. A dark time with natural benefits for creation. But isn't it incredible to see an example of how solitude and silence works, possibly in a cells, but even in creation? It appears to me it's far easier when we're all forced into solitude rather than it becoming a discipline that would really help us in many ways. And like the earth being repaired in lockdown, we too can start to engage and repair our souls simply by putting Jesus at the centre of our stillness. Solitude is just one of the spiritual disciplines, activities, just like Jesus did to get our spirit in a place of readiness so we too can encounter God. In our busy lives, full of encounters with others, all our thoughts, energies and actions are usually reactions to a fallen world. But in solitude, we purposefully refrain from these interactions in order to focus our minds on Jesus. In solitude, we get quiet. We silence our energies, our emotions, our angers, our worries, our concerns and activities in order to be present with God. One big challenge for me in exploring that discipline is that solitude is closely linked with silence. When I have time on my own, I still often play music, even if it's 
just music in the background or I'm doing something else. I'll often listen to a, a podcast if I'm on, in my office working. Um, I've recently started to listen to the audio Bible as I go for a walk sometimes in an afternoon. And I enjoy watching films and television series. None of these things are necessarily bad, but I realise on reflection that it all adds up to such a lot of noise. So much noise. I'm going to try to make more opportunities over the next few weeks to choose to actively listen to the whisper of God. I encourage you to do so as well. As well as switching off the background noise, this will also mean choosing to have intentional moments spent in silence away from other activities. And it's important to create space simply to be with God and to be able to listen to God. So let's make solitude a priority because Richard Foster again says, in solitude we are freed from our bondage to people and our inner compulsions and we are free to love God and know compassion for others. I've spoken enough. I think what I want to do now is I think I want to, I want us to just offer a little bit of a silence, a silent moment. And I'm just, I'm just think we could do it as almost like a meditation. So I, I, what I want you to do is, just for a moment, I just want you to sort of close your eyes uh, and I just want you to sort of take three long, deep breaths to just help yourself settle into the silence. If you notice, the breathing helps you release physical tension. Anything that might be distracting to you. Notice, if you can, the different levels of your being. Particularly the difference between your mind and your heart. Give yourselves a few moments to notice and experience what is going on in your mind and what is going on in your heart. when you're ready I want you to hear God ask you a question the same question he answered sorry he asked Elijah and that question is what are you doing here ask yourselves that question what are you doing here And if you've got an answer, tell God how it feels. And if you don't have an answer, just listen for that whisper.
just allow related issues, concerns and thoughts to present themselves. But don't dwell on them. Let them just pass like clouds in a sky. Rather than trying to figure out anything or grasp anything, just rest in God's presence with that question. What are you doing here? And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Father God, I'm humbled to realise that you've included me and my life as part of your plan for humanity. I realise more and more that I must decrease in every areas of my life and entrust all circumstances into your gracious hands so that you may increase and I may decrease. Use all of us, Lord, as, you, as your will commands for your wider plans and purposes and develop us into understanding our hearts and listening to your voice. Teach us the lessons that you would have for all of us to learn to keep looking at you, Jesus. For the moments of silence and solitude and just focus everything on you, Lord. I'm just going to bring us back as well. I'm going to ask the band to come up to play our next song. This um, next song, I, the Lord, have seen sky, the chorus sings about hearing the call of God in the stillness of the night. This is a time when I often find myself hearing the voice of God. Sometimes um, God asks, asks me questions. And sometimes I ask God questions. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes I've got to actually, I, have, I always have a notepad in drawers on my bed and I have to get out and I have to write things down to, to what God said to me because I, I don't want to forget for morning after. But that's when I hear God during the call of the night. I don't know where you look to find God. It might be in big signs or clear answers. I don't know what your feeling towards God are. Gratitude, joy, anger, fear, despair, confusion... 
But what I do know is that God takes you seriously. He takes, out, he takes what you're seriously, what you're feeling, what you're thinking about, what you're doing. Everything matters to the God who created you and sees you clearer so that you can see yourself. All I know is that when it comes to God, God will always be there. But sometimes we just have to listen to the sound of the silence. Let's stand to sing. I